0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Romans chapter
1: 16, and we're going to be reading from verses 1 through to 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrier, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, But all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epaphanitus. You can tell I just got told to read this this morning. Who was the first convert to Christ in Asia? Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampiliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trypania and Triposa. "'Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. "'Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, "'also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. "'Greet Assycritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Ermas, "'and the brothers who are with them. "'Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, "'and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. "'Greet one another with a holy kiss, "'all the churches of Christ,' Greet you.
0: Thanks so much, Lisa. I won't give you a kiss, but we'll try to work out what that means. Hey, Sydney on a Hill. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Uh, my name is Nick. If you are new or visiting, we haven't had the chance to meet. We'd love to meet you. If not now, at our newcomers' lunch after the 11 a.m. We'd love to have you back for that and meet with you over lunch. Uh, We had camp, which was an awesome experience, amen? And we probably forgot that we are neck deep in a left and right series, looking at the controversial topics and seeking to follow Jesus in a political age. And so we dive back into the deep end of such a series right now uh, in the topic of gender equality. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and come and Open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, so that we might see Jesus afresh and be made more into his likeness. Lord, we thank you that in a world of confusion and division, that grace and truth has come through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so turn our hearts toward him now, we pray. Open our ears to listen to him, we ask in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, this week I was able to listen to the audio biographical story of Rachel Den Hollander. You may have heard of her. Rachel describes this moment uh, in her life some years ago, uh, which was both eerie and tragically personal for her, when in 2016 she was at home looking after her children and um, flicking through um, the news online. And she happened upon an article written by the Indianapolis Star, and the article detailed the investigation into cover-ups of abuse at USA Gymnastics. The article brought back to Rachel her own experience of abuse at the hand of the USA team doctor, which happened 15 years earlier. And so taking a deep breath and knowing that her world was about to change, Rachel, who had now trained as a lawyer, wrote an email to the journalist briefly raising her experience and inviting her to talk further. What eventuated from there was the exposure of over 250 young women like Rachel who had been abused by Larry Nassar, the USA team doctor. And the public court proceedings later went viral primarily because of Rachel's speech in court which came uh, or was headlined by one very simple yet powerful question. See, Rachel was the, the last victim to give her victim impact statement and came after 150 women had already stepped up and provided their story. And so Rachel had the last opportunity to ask the judge for the maximum possible sentence to NASA. And so Den Hollander started her speech with the question, how much is a little girl worth? She asked the judge, how much is a little girl worth? And that question hung in the air of the courtroom that day. And it led to NASA being given multiple uh, convictions uh, that were to be served consecutively and would add up to some 360 years in prison for his crimes. But it's also a question that, that goes out from that courtroom and into our world today. It plays out in our world today. How much is a little girl worth? What is a woman worth? So today we're going to talk about gender equality, And I confess that as a man, I don't have the experience of a woman. Uh, I like to go running and I've never had to, in my thinking about running, plan where I would run and when I would run because of a concern of my own personal safety. I've never been asked in a job interview about my plans for children in kind of a veiled attempt to interrogate whether there would be some very inconvenient maternity leave coming up soon. Uh, There are things that I can't know by virtue of not having live them out personally. But more than uh, only or exclusively being a women's issue, this is also a human issue. Dan Hollander's experience shows that sexual harassment is one of the uh, ugly expressions of where inequality uh, rears its head in our culture today. And Kate Jenkins, the Sex Discrimination Commissioner, she said this, sexual harassment is not a women's issue, it is a societal issue, which every Australian and every Australian workplace can contribute to addressing. I think that's also true of inequality in general today. And so as we open up the Bible on this topic, I think we'll see that that men and women, especially Christian men and women, should together use our voice to speak out on this. And so we're going to start by walking through the vision, the beautiful vision that the Bible gives us about gender equality. Then we're going to talk about the brokenness that we see and that we experience in our world when it comes to gender inequality, and then we're going to close with some practical course corrections for us that I think will help us live out the Bible's vision. Let's talk about the beauty of gender equality, and it's becoming a, a habit, and perhaps those pages of your Bibles are becoming a little bit darker and a little bit more frayed, because it seems that every single week of this series, we have to return to the beginning of Scriptures, and so we're going to return again to Genesis chapter 1. And we return here, it seems, each and every single week because this is where we find some answers to the big questions. That the answers to those questions end up shaping how we approach all these issues, they end up shaping how we approach our world today. Those questions are, uh, Who are we? Where did we come from? and how should things be? and we see that again. Around this topic of gender. So let's turn again to those few verses that have become very familiar with in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, and 28. But let's look at it this time with the eyes for gender. It says this Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God, by this point, had already made everything else. We come to the sixth day and by now he had been forming and filling and we're told after he made everything else, God's own account of it was that it was good. But then now on the sixth day, God makes the high point of his creation, the only part of his creation that he put his image upon or in. He creates humanity, male and female. And we're told after this day, as God looked back on that day and what he had made, that it wasn't just good. Now, it was very good. And that tells us something about the, uh, the value of humanity, the value of men and women. I remember years ago, Jules and I had the opportunity to, to spend a few weeks in, in Europe and we went to all the touristy sites. And one of those is the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican. Uh, the Sistine Chapel is famous for having the, the incredible ceiling, a little bit better than the ceiling here at Phoenix Park, uh, painted by Michelangelo. Uh, and it paint, the, the painting depicts several different kind of stories in the, the biblical account, and particularly the, the most famous one being uh, what's called the, the creation of Adam, that picture where, where God is, is leaning down to Adam and Adam is, is pointing back up and their, their fingers almost just perhaps potentially meet, but it, uh, seemingly one of the symbolisms of that is, is God giving Adam the gift of life. And I remember as we, we visited this artwork, you know, this very precious artwork, very valuable, artwork. And so we all kind of walked around the bottom of the Sistine Chapel, hundreds of of tourists, with our necks cranked up at the sky. And because uh, of the the preciousness, uh, they they wanted to keep the lights off. And so the lights were off, and so you're kind of glaring up into the roof, and you couldn't use your camera because lest the flash impact the paint on the top of the ceiling. And so you're trying to see what's at the top, uh, and of course you you can't make a noise because any noise might reverberate against the the paint and ruin it as well. And so you're banging against each other as you look up. And and the ironic thing, the irony of it all, is that we all got sore necks looking up at the masterpiece of Michelangelo and we were bumping in to the masterpiece of God's creation. That we ignored what was actually most valuable in that chapel that day. As great as no offense to Michelangelo, it's a fantastic work of art. But the Bible here tells us, and even that work of art tells us, that there is something special about the creation that God has made, male and female, humanity. C.S. Lewis says something similar. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Made in God's image. Humanity, both men and women are of equal and eternal value. And notice too that after we hear that we're made in God's image, that both the man and the woman together receive God's blessing. Part of that blessing is that they were together to go forth and multiply, be fruitful, oversee the earth. If we turn one page, into Genesis chapter 2, we get get another account of creation. Not a contradictory account, but but a zoomed-in version into this this sixth day of how did it actually occur, the creation of the man and the woman. And we see that that Adam was created first, and then after his creation, we hear of something being not good. The very first thing in the world that that wasn't good, God says, it is not good that man should be alone. See, the man couldn't, couldn't reach his calling with all the animals that were around him. Couldn't fulfill his mission without help. And so, just like God himself, Eve comes along and she's described as a helper. And at her creation, Adam can't help but sing. And he sings, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so he sings that at last there's someone like me. At last there's someone similar to me. Someone I can share my human experience with. And so we've got these two complementary realities that pop out of Genesis 1 and 2 here that we see that that both the the man and the woman were created of, of equal and eternal value. And both the man and the woman are needed so that all of us can be who we're called to be. That we need each other so that we can actually do what we're called to do. And so notice there, the the both and, and not the either or. Both valuable, both needed and necessary in our world today. And we see this play out uh, through the rest of the scriptures, in the the story of the scriptures. There are men who are significant and influential. Uh, Abraham, Moses, David, Samuel, to name a few. There are women who are significant and influential. Sarah, Hannah, Ruth, Esther, to name a few. We see this also particularly in the ministry of Jesus. On the one hand, Jesus surrounded himself with his 12 apostles, 12 men, to multiply his message. And at the same time, in places like Luke chapter 8, we find out that all 13 of those, Jesus and the 12, were also accompanied by women, and it was actually those women who provided for them. They showed them the money. They're the ones who put them up. And it was no cheap kind of exercise to be providing for at least 13 with all their meals and their accommodation requirements. We know that Jesus taught a lot of men, but they're the longest recorded conversation we have in the Scriptures of his one-on-one with a woman by the well. Jesus had an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. We also know that his circle included great friends like Mary and Martha, And in fact, he let their brother Lazarus die and kind of be in the tomb for a while so that he could come and show Mary and Martha something particular about his love and his glory and his power. Men were with Jesus sharing the final supper. And then so many of them fled when his betrayal kind of became pronounced and a real thing. And it was women who were last with him at the cross and first at the empty tomb. Historian Tom Holland, who I've quoted a number of times this series, said Christianity gave women a dignity that no previous sexual dispensation had offered. This is where we come to our Bible reading today. Not just a whole random list of names. We have here in Romans 16 a vision, a picture of what the early church looked like there in Rome and how both men and women together contributed, supported, helped Paul and the ministry amongst them. I won't read it in full, but we take from it that there were men and women working together to serve and support the church. We read of Phoebe, who's a deaconess and gave money to support many. We read of Prisca and Aquila, a gospel power couple uh, who worked together to serve multiple churches. There's Andronicus and Junior, another gospel power couple, most likely, uh, who went to prison with Paul. There's Mary and Persis, who both worked hard. There's Rufus and his mum. And his mum was also a mother to Paul as well. There's Nereus and Olympus, a brother and sister combo. And so we get this picture that men and women together were working side by side to make the gospel go out on mission for Jesus. And certainly if we were to look at every single passage to talk to men and women, we'd we'd note that there are other passages as well. Passages in 1 Timothy, in 1 Corinthians or in Ephesians, where where Paul draws out some implications, particularly the implications of of the, the man, Adam, being made first. And how that order might actually need to also be taken into account in the ordering of the home in marriage and the church as well. And we don't have space to go into everything there, but it does only add shape to the, the bigger call and the bigger picture of this, this beautiful reality of men and women working side by side together for me, on mission for Jesus. In the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be advertising in our church here uh, a full time role because we want another theologically trained. Uh, experienced female leader to join our team, to help minister amongst our people uh, in training, in discipleship, in mission and mercy, so that we might grow in this picture of being a church with men and women working alongside each other in this way. And so the Bible tells us a lot and shows us a lot about gender equality, that we're both equally valuable and equally needed in pursuing God's vision for human flourishing. But often we don't see that, do we? Often we see the opposite of that. And so let's stop now to think about the brokenness of gender inequality. Because when we start at the beginning of the Bible, it doesn't take us long to come to the fall of Genesis chapter 3. And like many areas in our human experience, gender is just another one of those areas that is formed and deformed by the the beauty and the brokenness of Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. And so here we see the beginning of the the, the frayed tapestry that would end up being the mess that we find ourselves in today. Because shortly after the man and the woman disobey God and and kind of craft out or carve out their own way, their own vision for their lives, God says to each of them, and he says particularly to the woman, he says this, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband." but he shall rule over you. And so sin affects us all. That all of us who have sinned, and indeed all of us have sinned, have our spiritual relationship cut off from God. We become unreconciled. We become estranged to him. Enemies of him. And so there's a spiritual dimension, certainly, to our sin. We know also that there's a, there's a physical Dimension and judgment upon us for our sin. And that is uh, what, what we all experience in aging and our bodies passing away. But notice here in, in this verse, there's also a relational impact upon our sin. The gender wars began as the relationship between the, the woman and the man would now be marked by conflict and frustration. And we see this too play out. In the scriptures described as the story of the scriptures go on we wouldn't have to turn too far into genesis to see uh, a man called lot offer his daughters outside the door to a raging mob who are after him throughout the old testament we see other moments where men use power and privilege to take or discard multiple women in judges which is, is the, the whole point is trying to show just how far Israel can go down into the depths of moral depravity when they do what is right in their own eyes. And the story is, I guess, the lowest point of that whole story and the decay of their trust and faith in God is symbolized by the horrific story of abuse and a murder of a young woman. Now, the Bible doesn't affirm this evil at all. In fact, just describes and condemns it. It tells us that, these experiences of the people in the Bible are also very similar to the experiences of people in our world today. In Australia, one woman a week is killed by their partner. One in four women will be in an emotionally abusive relationship. One in three Australian women have over 15 have experienced physical violence. One in five women will be sexually assaulted. And we've heard... All too recently, the the culture of sexual harassment at our own Parliament House uh, in Canberra. The Australian Human Rights Commission delivered the Set the Standard report this year, which found high levels of harassment across the board in almost every industry, not just government. Certainly men experience harassment, but it is most often women. Andy Judd from City on Hill in Melbourne and from Ridley College says that when he preaches to a room of 100 people, he knows that 44 of them will have experienced intimate partner violence in their lifetime and 18 will have them in the last 12 months. So that means right now, as I talk about this, this is very personal for many of us in the room. And so let me say that if it is personal for you right now, that it is a great evil. And if you yourself are experiencing these kinds of things in your home, of all places, where you should be most safe. If you are currently unsafe, where you should be safe, then let me just encourage you to please flee. And please go to the police. And please access social support services. And if you need help to do that, we want to help you do that. And gender inequality isn't also, or isn't only a physical reality about respect, but it also has other ugly expressions In July, the 2022 gender gap report was released and Australia came 43rd out of 146 countries for gender equality. It found that we in Australia were pretty good when it comes to education and health, not great when it comes to economic participation and opportunity, and very low when it comes to political empowerment. So historically, Australia was one of the first to give women the, the chance to vote in 1901, but only very recently has seen better representation in Parliament of female politicians. That was helped by the Labour Party adopting gender quotas in 1994, which brought up the representation to the point that this past election that we've just been through had the highest number of women elected, making up 41% of the 227 seats across both houses. On the financial side, and am being props Stella from our church who pointed me in this remarkable Uh, To this remarkable statistic, uh, only 0.7% of venture capital funding for startup businesses flowed to those startups that were founded by females uh, in the last financial year. And so when it comes to representation, when it comes to opportunity, this is where we we dig into, well, how are we going to solve it? Because thankfully, we don't live in a country where there is the gender inequality party and they're pitching to us, vote one, we want gender inequality, Hopefully we can all agree that gender equality is a good thing and is a vision that we should be pursuing. The question is, isn't it, how do we pursue it? How do we go about trying to reach gender equality? I was alerted to uh, a study by Uber, by, by Joel Deacon, about the gender pay gap. Because in, in 2018, uh, there was a, a kind of an infamous culture had, had come apparent in Uber. And so Stanford University did a... Uh, research into, would there be a a gender pay gap with Uber? And it's interesting because you and I, as the customers of Uber, we pay the drivers, obviously, and and we don't have a chance to choose whether we get a male driver or a female driver. So surely there would not be a gender pay gap at Uber. And it was found that there still was a 7% pay gap between men and women. And the factors contributing to this were, one, men are more likely to drive at night and in areas where fares are more expensive. Two, men are more likely to drive for longer and gain more insight into what routes were more lucrative. And men, one for us to take home and consider, men were more likely to drive faster and therefore complete more trips. And so the study cuts to the heart of the issue because some people will see that and go, ha-ha, see? No gender pay gap. Men and women, equal opportunity. They're both free to do whatever routes at whatever time for however long, they want. And yet for others, it's like, aha, see? Systemic bias. Speed is valued more than safety. A male's inclination towards speed is is valued more than a female inclination towards safety. Bias. Gender inequality. And this is what separates the the differing approaches to how to solve this issue in our world today. That the, the right will typically prioritize personal responsibility and therefore want to champion equal opportunity for men and women. That as long as both men and women have the equal opportunity to do as they uh, want and have the same opportunities, we're all good. The left will prioritize collective responsibility. And when you prioritize collective responsibility, you have to start thinking about the collective. You have to start thinking about the system. And so they want equal outcomes, not equal opportunity, equal outcomes for men and women, believing that personal choice alone can be skewed and influenced by other factors. Now, like every week I say, we are not going to solve these great tensions in our world today, but we can notice some pros and cons about both approaches to how to solve this. Certainly, equal opportunity feels more free, that everybody's more free to, to has the opportunity to, to do what they would like. But it doesn't seem to address the, the pipeline or the pathway or the system that might be affected by, by bias or skewed by power or priorities as we saw with Uber. The culture of the Australian Parliament for example. Maybe not be able to nail it down to, to one particular thing but it's a good example isn't it? of a, a system potentially putting off women from wanting to be a part of that system and making them choose something else. On the other hand Equal outcomes look impressive as an end result, but it can feel like a a very blunt instrument to force results and then potentially tokenize the involvement of women as if they're not personally already qualified in and of themselves to get the job. As former Liberal MP Dr. Fiona Martin put it, I didn't come to Canberra to fill a quota. And so we're not going to solve these issues but I do have three course corrections for us as Christians in our culture today as we think about things. How we might be able to do something toward moving into this biblical vision and picture of gender equality that we see in the scriptures. The first course correction gender celebration instead of gender wars. Gender celebration instead of gender wars. You know, perhaps leveraging the, the conflict and the frustration that began, that frayed thread that was started in Genesis chapter 3, our world sometimes pictures the the whole world, the whole fabric of reality as this giant combat, this giant war between men and women. And so some feminists will cry, hey, the future is female, as if we no longer need men. And while on the other side, there's the rise of the men's rights movement and what's called online as the the manosphere, where, where men are encouraged to go their own way, cut their own path, tap out of female relationships unless they, they get caught by the, the ball and chain uh, and lose everything in the divorce court or something like that. And so it's all very ugly, male versus female, women versus men. And notice that that, 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 that view of the world is in complete contrast to the magisterial beginning. For both men and women, in being made as God's image bearers and essentially commissioned as his vice regents upon the earth to under his authority exercise authority and dominion over the creative order. And so, when we focus on the Bible's vision, where we're both valuable and we're both needed, it means that to be truly biblical means we, we can't denigrate each other. Rather, we should celebrate each other, we should support each other to flourish. If we truly live out that actually we need each other, then we should be getting alongside each other to help each other flourish. And that's a, that means wherever any inequality exists, we should be against it. Men are three to four times more likely to commit suicide in Australia. Men make up more of the homeless population. Women are disproportionately affected by abuse and harassment. Both should not be. Instead... We should be striving to create a community that celebrates each other and celebrates particularly the unique contribution of the other, the differences between men and women that we bring into the world today. And so, men, the Bible calls us to see women as sisters, not as subordinates or sexual objects. And, women, the Bible calls you to see men as brothers. Not as useless or toxic. Part of celebrating each other means that we've got to ensure equality is not equated with sameness. It undermines the pursuit of gender equality when we act as if to be equal, women have to become more like men. And one obvious area we see this play out in our societies is is in the area of of motherhood. Just Just a quick anatomy lesson. Uh, but, but women are the ones who are fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together with wounds. And so that means only women can have children. That tells us something about God's design. That tells us something about, about what, what God is asking or, or wants in women. But it also means that our world should be celebrating, should be protecting that privilege of bringing up children not minimizing the, the honor of bringing up children, as if it's like an inconvenience, getting in the way of getting women back on the capitalistic treadmill to kind of find legitimacy in finally getting back to work. In an article in the Oz this year called I'm, young, ambitious, I'm a Young, Ambitious Woman Choosing Kids Over Work, the author Virginia says, the feminist movement still has work to do. In order to argue the case for women being able to work outside the home, career feminists had to denigrate the act of caring for children in the home. They had to argue that childcare and home duties were beneath them. Naturally, they sought empowerment by placing themselves where power lay, in the workplace. They viewed power through the lens of the patriarchy, the very system they sought to dismantle. And so women, mums particularly, you should know, you are incredible and God has wired you and, and Literally made you with, with, with the mechanics to be a mum. So you should feel the honour and the privilege that it is to be nursing and influencing and growing and rearing your children rather than seeing your work, which I know can sometimes feel very isolated, lonely, frustrating and without honour, as that. It is honourable. It is worthy. It is important. And so we should be a people that that celebrate the unique contribution of men and women. That we should champion women, sometimes staying home to look after kids. Men, sometimes staying home to look after kids. Women, sometimes heading to work, the workplace. Men, sometimes heading to the workplace. We should champion the unique contribution of men and women in these ways. Number two, God's creation instead of cultural stereotypes. God's creation instead of cultural stereotypes. See, when we uh, start to celebrate God's creative hand in the design and the commission of both men and women, it starts to uh, get, get dicey when we carve out too neatly and explicitly what it means or looks like in one culture to be a man or a woman. And when we draw two darker or thicker lines around the, the stereotypes of what it is to be a man, a man, and a woman. There is nothing in the Bible about boys not being allowed to play with dolls. There's nothing in the Bible about uh, women not being able to play footy uh, or whatever it may be. Insert the, the controversial whatever it is here. There are some broad patterns. There are some unique responsibilities. But there is a lot of freedom as men and as women. Because being a man or a woman is primarily about God's creation. You are made in his image, male and female. It is about that creative moment. It's about biology. And we'll hear more about this next week as Guy uh, comes and shares with us on transgender rights. But the tragic reality is that some people feel a disconnect and they feel significant distress over that disconnect between their felt inner reality or identity and their biology. And people who experience that condition are worthy of our care, of our compassion. And unfortunately, when we prescribe strict stereotypes on on manhood and womanhood, when we tell people that if they don't fit these culturally aligned pigeonholes, that they must be other, they mustn't be part of us, it actually adds to that confusion. It creates more confusion for people. And this is a particular issue we see play out today where there's a conflict between the feminist movement and the transgender movement. And women's unique rights and value and contribution, it starts to be erased when we say that anybody can be a woman. And so because we're talking about gender equality, it forces us to clarify what it means to have a gender, what it means to be a man and a woman. It means that God has created you in his image, a man or woman. And God made men and women because it was not good for either one of them to be alone. And so, that difference between men and women is part of the point. The distinction between men and women is part of the image bearing. And so, therefore, we should be championing and celebrating those unique contributions together to be biblical people. Finally, number three, gospel hope instead of harboring power. Gospel hope instead of harboring power. We've heard a lot of horrid things today, and indeed there are a lot of horrid things in our world that happen between men and women when it comes to inequality. And a lot of those horrid things stem from the abuse of power at the hands of men against women. And yet the gospel shows us a different way. In the Bible, men and women aren't just created equally, but also invited and then established equally with the same status in Christ before God. And this leads, as we saw earlier this year in the series we did in 1 Peter, uh, Peter tells the men that he's writing to, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so the physical difference of a husband to a wife should lead to the greater understanding and honor Because men and women are heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together. That brings up what I preached on last Sunday, uh, the final session of camp, that, that men and women together, we join the family of God with the status of an ancient firstborn son. That means we have complete access to the Father. We have full privileges. We have eternal inheritance. And we each have serious responsibility. In Rachel Den Hollander's final statement to the judge that I mentioned at the top, she also had a chance to talk directly to her abuser, who was there next to the judge, Larry Nassar, and she said this to him: "In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love." is portrayed of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good things can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says it is better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble. And you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak of carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, The guilt will be crushing. And this is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. It's very courageous, very confronting, very convicting words. And there is the gospel for men and for women. The gospel for people like me, people like us, who have used and harbored power and pushed aside the other. The gospel that tells us that that all of us, sinful and selfish as we may be, For all of us who have sought to to put ourselves first. To all of us who have sought to lift up ourselves. And yet because of the sacrifice of Jesus, undeserving, purely by his grace and by his mercy, we can be saved and we can be set free. We can be set free, not just from the the penalty of putting ourselves first, but, but also from the power to seek to do it. The gospel frees us from harboring power for ourselves and toward lifting up the other, protecting the other, celebrating the other. And so as men and women, we now have this responsibility that we walk in, in Christ, to treat each other as brothers and sisters, not as sexual objects to mistreat or manipulate, not with suspicion or with severity, but with love, with commitment, with truth with grace. And so men, God loves you. God values you. God honors you. Jesus gets what it is to be a man. And like him, Jesus wants you to love, to value, and to honor women as, as fellow, uh, fellow workers and sisters in Christ. And women, God loves you. God values you. God honors you. And Jesus gets what it is to be a woman. Not because he came in the flesh of a woman, but rather because he designed your flesh. He, he designed you. He made you in his image to reflect his character in, only, in ways that only you can. And like him, Jesus wants you to value, to love, and to honor men as fellow workers and brothers in Christ. I'll throw three course corrections for us. God, gender celebration instead of gender wars. God's creation instead of cultural stereotypes gospel hope instead of harboring power. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we indeed thank you for your grace. God, we come before you unworthy and undeserving. Lord, you have injected us, formed us, created us in your image. You've given us such value and such honor and such esteem amongst all of your creation. And yet in response to that, rather than walking in the honorable ways which are fitting to that image, Lord, we have defiled it. We have put ourselves first. We have run from you and we've created a world where there are people who are pushed down and out, where they should not be. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that seek to lift people up and in. That seek because you have done that very thing for us in Christ descending to us to bring us up back to who we are and even more than who we were once just merely in your image but we are now sons and daughters of you in your image so Lord would we seek to restore others seek to support others seek to love others seek to celebrate others Lord, I pray for the men in this room that you would uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit and that we might live in our life as these spirit-filled men who seek to support and love and sacrifice for our sisters. Lord, I pray for the women in this room. Lord, I pray for those who uh, found some of the stats I mentioned that not not just realities out there, but a reality that they themselves have faced personally. Lord, I pray that you would provide healing pray that you would provide a, a community around them of, of gospel safety, where we love, where we bring up, where we support. I pray, Lord, for the women of our church, that they would know that they are loved. They would know that they are so loved that they're going to be called to the biblical's, biblical, Bible's vision of, of who they should be. That the women of our church might be... Uh, Celebrators, supporters. And they might help bring men along with them. As we each be brothers and sisters in this family that you have formed together. Celebrating one another, supporting one another and pointing each other to Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. For his life lived in our place, his death died in our place and his glorious resurrection. I thank you that for both men and women, Jesus paints us a vision and Jesus is pulling us toward him to be a new humanity a new people. And so bless us now and fill us with your spirit. We need you in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.